Welcome to Twice Born Podcasts. My name is Mike Bailey. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to get your feedback. And if you have any questions, please go to twiceborn.net. You can also find us on social media. I hope that you find this podcast helpful and informative. God bless. And so we want to look to God's word today and ask him to speak to us. Uh, to reveal to us things that help us grow and understand uh, who he is, who we are, and what we're to do. And so today we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 12. If you have a Bible, you can turn there now. Uh, but we will be uh, really asking the Lord to teach us some new things. There's a sermon-based study within the bulletins, if you'd like. Uh, it gives you some more questions, a deeper dive into the area that we're talking about today. And so I'd encourage you to take one of those with you. We also use those for our studies during the week. And so it's just a helpful tool because we don't just want to be hearers of the word today. We're going to be doers of the word every day of the week. And so we want to practice and live out these truths that were taught through scripture. How many of you this morning feel peaceful? You feel peaceful. Good, right? This is a pretty comfortable room. Uh, you know, hopefully you feel welcomed here and encouraged. You don't feel attacked. Uh, this should be a peaceful place, not a, a battlefield. But you know, in life, most of us would agree that there are difficult times, difficult places. Sometimes life does feel like war. And uh, I think that God uses things in the world to illustrate uh, some of his spiritual truths. And uh, the idea of having peace is an important thing for us to recognize because we follow the Prince of Peace. Uh, and he calls us to be peacemakers. And so this concept of peace, having peace with God, having peace within myself and having peace with others is an important uh, topic to discuss, an important topic for us to have understanding in, an important topic for us um, to really have a firm uh, belief or faith that allows us to live out our Christian lives. Well, the example that kind of shot to my mind as I was praying about today and, and saying, God, what do you want me to share about it? How can we begin this study and, and kind of give it um, some context or some grounding, and I thought about sports. Now, some of you I know don't like sports at all. I totally understand that. I'm not trying to offend with sports, uh, but some of you love sports. Um, some of you would be called fans or fanatics, right, about sports. But here's the lesson I've learned from sports. Sports do not bring peace. Did you know that? Sports do not produce peace within your heart. Some days you're super excited because your team is winning, and sometimes your life is in despair because they're losing, and you watch the game pretty much under this tension of fear of losing, and then the rest of the week you're impacted by what happened in this certain game that in the long run doesn't mean anything at all, right? But to us emotionally and to us in our lives, this becomes, I think in some ways there's a vacuum in all of our hearts, there's a vacuum in our culture for God. And there's an emptiness within a lot of people, and they're filling that vacuum, that emptiness with sports, with watching sports, with betting on sports, with participating in sports. And sports is a good example of you can seek peace, but you will not find it in anything but the Lord. And as we look at our world and we look at the culture we live in, a lot of people are looking for happiness and peace and contentment, and they're looking into things that pretty much uh, always keep you stressed and anxious and unhappy. <laughs> and so we want to ask the Lord, we're your children. You've made some profound promises to us. We don't want to fall into this trap. But I want to encourage you today, and this is really, I think, something Paul is going to bring to the surface here in Romans chapter 12. Are you a fanatic about Jesus? Are you a fan of the king? 
Are you a fan of the kingdom? How fanatic are you about the things of God? Right? And so we're going we're gonna to dive into Romans chapter 12 asking the question, what does God want us to know about living at peace? What does God want us to know about a peace-given, peace-filled life uh, through Scripture? So let's precede it with prayer and ask him to speak to us individually as we look at his words. Father God, you are worthy of this moment. You are, you're an awesome and holy and just and righteous God. Um, you are a God that uh, is patient with us and kind and uh, is willing to allow us to make mistakes that we may uh, grow and mature and become more like you. And so, Lord, we pray today as we look into your word that you would bring us to a place of understanding. And, Lord, if there's a need for confession, that we would confess. If there's a need for action, that we would act. If there's a need for encouragement, that we would be encouraged. And, Lord, that as we look at your words, that they would impact us and, uh, Lord, that our, our lives would be changed and renewed. Our minds and hearts would be refocused. And, Lord, that we would just be in tune with what you have for us today. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done. We look forward to your return. Give us today what we need so that we can be prepared. And, uh, Lord, we thank you for all that is good because we, all, we know that all that is good is from you. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Each week we've actually been looking at Romans 12. We've used this as kind of our base verses, the two verses that we really uh, believe are the, at the foundation of Romans and what we need to learn from it, and that is Romans 12, 1 and 2. And if you, if you turn there or look there, it says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. And so as we gathered here, we agreed that we want to worship in truth. And to worship in truth, we have to be living sacrifices. And what does it mean to be a living sacrifice? What does it mean to place ourselves on the altar? I believe a good way to look at this is to consider that there's the, the inward man and the outward man. And before you know Christ, the inward man is led by your flesh. The inward man is led by your desires. The inward man is led by uh, whatever is appealing at the moment. And the outward man is just the beneficiary. The, the outward man does the will of the inner man. And what we need to do today is to take that inner man and put it on the altar and sacrifice the inner man so that the Holy Spirit then can come lead us and guide us and be at the center of who we are. We look at the story back when Moses led the people out of Egypt, and as they were on their way to the promised land, uh, they were led by a cloud in the day and fire by night. It was the Holy Spirit of God that was leading them and guiding them, and they had to look to that place uh, to know where to go. They were using that as their compass. They were using that as their point of reference. And for each one of us, every single day, in a sense, as we are being led to our promised land, which is Father's home, uh, we need to be led by the Holy Spirit. And to do that, we need to empty ourselves of the old self and fill ourselves with the Spirit of God, which is our new self. And so as we talk about being a living sacrifice, um, that can be a complex idea, but at its very core, it's the idea of saying, I want the Holy Spirit to be in charge of my life today. I want the God of the universe to teach me and to grow me, and I want to submit to that, and I want to put my flesh, which is my desires and my lusts and my bad attitudes and all these things that live within me, I want to put them on the altar and sacrifice them so they are not the thing that leads me today. 
And so my encouragement to you as we gather every Sunday or in our Bible studies, in our groups, when you get up in the morning, when you live out your walk with the Lord, is being a living sacrifice. Taking the inner man and making sure that the Holy Spirit is there and not the flesh. And making sure that God is the one that is determining the day-to-day activities of your life, your thoughts, your attitudes, your actions, so that he can be glorified, so that you can be led in the right direction, so that you can enter the promised land eternally and be with the Father. The verse 2 says this, Do not conform to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. And I believe it's important for us today to think about what the world is, to think about what we could be, to think about maybe some things that we are that we shouldn't be. You know, a lot of people live their lives always looking at what they want to be and never getting there, right? A lot of people live their lives always putting something in front of them, and yet that's never really who they are. And so today, uh, we don't want to put an image that we've made in front of us. You know, there's a, there's, a, there's a whole theory in our world about if you name it, you can claim it, or if you can envision it, you can do it. Nothing, the only limitation you have is yourself. Well, I think that's false. I think that there's a vision that God has for you that you have to submit to and realign yourself to, that it's not based on your flesh or your ideas or your thoughts. It's based on the Holy Spirit of God giving you a, a direction to go. And so today, uh, we want to conform, we don't want to conform to something we don't want to be right? How many of you want to be liars? How many of you want to be thought of as a person that has no character? How many of us want to be considered untrustworthy? How many of us want to be considered a poor friend? How many of us want to be considered someone uh, that, that only shows up when it's easy and fun, right? I don't think there's any of us in this room that would say, that's who I want to be. And so we need to look and say, what, what is it that, that the Holy Spirit is leading me to? And that might be different than everyone you know. That might be the, different than the world you live in. But we need to be able to look around and say, what is it that the Holy Spirit is leading me to? And um, I need to make that decision not based on peer pressure or, or what my flesh says or what the world says, but what on the Holy Spirit of God says through his words so that I can conform to his good and pleasing and perfect will. So don't conform to something you don't want to be. Decide what you don't want to be. You know, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to be uh, someone who lacks character. And so each day, that's an attempt to focus my heart and life. Uh, What is that in your life that you're attempting? You're saying, God, this is what I want to be. I I know this is what you've called me to be. Help me to follow that and to be led by that. And so that leads us into the challenge this morning. Here's the challenge, Romans 12, 3. For by grace given me, I say that every one of you do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought. We need to resist, God resists the proud, right? He resists those that that don't humble themselves, And so this morning, as we think about this idea, I think this is a big challenge for me and for us within the church. Because you can begin to believe, well, we're here right now, and we're worshiping God, and and we believe we've trusted Jesus with our life, and and we're committed to him. Um, Sometimes that can build a certain sense of pride in your life to where you look down on other people. And you begin to think more highly of yourselves than you ought. And it wasn't just true of today, it was true of then, right? Right? This is why Paul brings it up to the Romans. He says, look, be careful that you don't start building up your own idea of yourself that somehow you're better than others. 
That somehow you've done something that's more significant or more important than other people. The truth is, children and most people can sniff out pride pretty easily, right? They can sniff it out. We can sniff out pride. We, we, we know when someone is doing something out of arrogance or, or they're doing it out of their own uh, level of, of I'm better or I'm more significant. And so we're to humble ourselves. Humility is, see, we're not told to necessarily pray for humility. We're called to be humble. Right? It's an act. It's a, it is a conscious act that I say, look, I, I need to recognize I am, the, I am a sinful person. I have fallen in, uh, in so many ways, and yet the loving Christ, the Holy Spirit, has, has redeemed me, and he is changing me, but it is his good work, not mine. And I'm not going to claim ownership of his goodness because it's his goodness to give me. And so we have to be really careful because the challenge we have is, in the United States especially, people come to church and they say, well, I, I talk to so many people. Why don't you come to church? Why don't you be part of what we're doing? Well, I don't have the right clothes. You don't, what is that? Wait, what? <laughs> right? Should clothes keep someone from Jesus? Should clothes keep someone from the gospel? Why is it that so many people think they have to get their life right before they come to church? That's not how it works. We're the hospital. We're not the cruise ship. We're the hospital. We got, you don't get right and come to the Lord. You come to the Lord so he can get you right. And so we have to recognize that. we got to encourage that in each other. And I see that every day here. I don't sense in this church that there is that arrogance. But we got to be careful because it can always be at the door, right? And we need to be very aware that the world is very hypersensitive to this self-righteousness that many in the church have. And we have to be careful that we don't walk with a level of I'm better than you or of I figured it out and you haven't or I have it all together and you don't. Because the truth is there's only one who has it all together and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's only by being his child do we get our act together, right? And so let's be encouraged, but let's be careful not to fall into the trap of pride. I love this picture. Uh, there was an artist who made a picture of this idea of pride that he's welcoming himself, his own shadow, Right? That his shadow is the thing that he respects the most. And we need to be careful that we don't live our lives that way. That we don't see value in other people. I mean, many times, how many times have you stopped at an intersection and a person has been there asking for food or money? And what is your first thought? Do you value that person? Are you concerned for their soul? Are you concerned for who they are? Right? When you see someone who maybe has different colored hair or a different perspective or different look than you would be comfortable with. Do we value and love these people and desire for them to know Christ as their Lord and Savior so that they may have eternity with him? It's just a real challenge that we face day to day. Do we love people the way Christ loves people? Are we humbling ourselves so that we can welcome people into the family? Then Romans 12, 17 through 18 gives us another challenge. It says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, Live at peace with everyone. There was no uh, Dunlawton Avenue when this was written, right? There was no Nova Street Road, right? There was like streets and driving have, have really tested us. With, amen? It has tested our patience. It has tested our grace. It has tested uh, how we interact with other people. Uh, I think the time that people get the maddest is when they're driving and someone does something that gets on their nerves, right? Or you're at line at the store and someone cuts in front of you or, or there's someone that's doing something that you don't approve of and how quickly we are to get angry and upset and, and, and hostile. And we live in a world that that's how they act, right? There's fights breaking out over very little things. 
Because if you live with the, if you don't live with the peace of the Holy Spirit living within you, you live with war of the flesh inside of you, and you will war with other people. And here Paul isn't saying, uh, he's not saying be watered down in your life. He's not saying peace for the sake of peace. He's saying, as it is possible, maintain peace with everyone in your life. Don't, don't pursue some sort of battle. Don't, if there's not a battle there, don't start one un, unintentionally or unnecessarily, correct? That we don't need, as Christians, to be known as the ones that start all the battles. Sometimes we need to be known as the peacekeepers, the peacemakers. We live in a world, let's be honest, in our country, the last eight to ten years has been more divided. We're almost civil war divided in our country right now. What are we going to do as the church? What is the opportunity God is giving us right now to reveal to this world? That there is something that is greater than the government. There is a kingdom greater than this kingdom. And all are welcomed in if they're willing to repent and believe, confess and declare Christ as Lord and receive the gift of eternal life. And so we need to be careful that we don't hold bitterness or, or anger against people. And even in church, listen, in a room like this, I guarantee all of us have hurts. All of us have things that have happened to us that have impacted us in a negative way. Every one of us in this room has a place where it's tough to forgive that person. And we know exactly who that person is. And it's very difficult for us to say in our hearts that we hand them to the Lord, to, that he would deal with them. But the peace only comes when we do that. There is no peace when you hold vengeance. There is no peace when the fleshly man inside of you is the judge and jury of someone who's wronged you. You need to hand that person within your heart to the true judge. It doesn't mean what they did was okay. It doesn't justify it. It doesn't mean they should keep doing it. It just means you're handing it over to the king for him to have the righteous judgment upon it. And so this morning, we just got to be careful because these things creep in, and they creep in subtly, and we don't even recognize it sometimes. And sometimes something is affecting us so much, and we don't know why we feel the way we do. Why am I so angry? Why am I so unhappy? Why is there no peace in my life? And then we realize we've been holding on to a grudge. We've been holding on to anger towards someone that, that's just been festering and growing and becoming this thing that we can't get away from. Before we go to sleep, we think about it. When we wake up, we think about it. Um, it becomes the front of our thoughts. And that is a very dangerous and, and very um, unhealthy way to live. It's not peace. And God doesn't want us to live in that hostility. He doesn't want us to live there. And so this leads us to what we are to be. And it's, Jesus said it on the Sermon on the Mount. He gives this amazing sermon, the greatest sermon ever given. He says, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed, meaning you are right with God when you can live at peace, right? You want to be at peace with God. You want to be peace within the fact that he's leading you and guiding you. And then you want to have peace as it is possible with those around you. First, the church, we should be a place of peace. There should not be battles going on in, the, in the, the family of God. In the body of Christ, if we battle, that's cancer. In the body of Christ, if we battle each other, those are like two internal organs fighting each other. Nothing good comes of it. And so we have to be aware of these things. We have to remind ourselves that we're not to be at war, but to be at peace. And to find out how do we get to peace? How do we build peaceful relationships? How do we build a church that's built on the concept of the Prince of Peace that allows us to be peacemakers? And so we're given some clear evidence here in Romans chapter 12, verse 4 through 8. 
For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to the other. We have different gifts according to the grace given us, given to each of us. How God has established his truth is through Jesus Christ being the Messiah. And when Messiah came and died on the cross and rose again, after he ascended to be at the right hand of the Father, he told his disciples, go make disciples of all nations. And he told Peter that he was going to, on this rock, he was going to build his church in the gates of hell. We're not going to overtake it. He established that the gospel would produce disciples, and disciples were to gather in groups of the church. The original term for church was ecclesia, or uh, the called out group that were on a mission for the gospel of Jesus Christ to make disciples. And they were to gather as a body. And within that body, each one had different functions. And so in this room, we have different gifts and abilities given to us on purpose by God so that we could be a healthy body of Christ. And that we connect to the greater body of Christ, which is all over the world. And so this morning, there's none of you that were born by accident. Your parents might not have planned you, but God did. And so you're here on purpose. So what is that purpose? Well, that purpose is first for you to come to Christ as your Savior to recognize the gospel so that you become part of his family. But after you have recognized that and after you have believed, repented, and, and received the gift of salvation, the next step is to join his family. One of the things we do is baptism as a way of telling the world that we affiliate with Christ in his death and burial and resurrection and that we also are in oneness because this is something we all do as part of the body of Christ. It brings us together in a shared experience so that we can be one. And then when you're part of that body, then you pray and say, God, what is the gifts that you've given me that I may use them for your glory, that I may be a part? Maybe your gift is teaching. Maybe your gift uh, is exhortation. Maybe your gift is encouragement. Maybe your gift is giving. Whatever your gift is, uh, it's important for you to seek out that knowledge so that you know the gift that you have and then to use it on a regular basis. And you will only find peace in life when you find out why God put you here. This peace that we talk about only comes when you seek the Lord, you will find him. And when you find him, he will reveal himself to you, and he will begin to share with you why you were born, why you're here, and why every day matters as part of his family. And so I encourage you, if you do not know what is the gift that God has given you, why has he put you here on the planet, what does he expect of you, because one day he's going to take an account of you, what is that? And once you find that out, uh, we have something called Starting Line. It's a, it's a class where you come to and we talk about what is the one thing that you know God gave you to do that you love that we want to help you do? And then what is the other thing that you're willing to do because there's a need? And so the church needs that. We need, to, we need each other. The church is only as healthy as the body. And the body is not the pastor. If anything, uh, in many ways, my job is to share this news with you for you to receive it and you to do it. The responsibility of of the deacons and elders, deacons is to serve, and those that are in leadership is to train and equip you to do the work that God has given you to do. And so this morning as we sit here, uh, this is the calling of peace. You don't find peace until you find your path, and you don't find your path until you seek the Lord and he reveals it to you. And so will you use your gifts to bring peace today? 
Romans 12 then adds to it in verse 11. It says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. So we're doing a Genesis study uh, at the, at the nursing home, and then also we've been doing it uh, before the creation evolution study. And we talked about how Abraham was 75 years old when he was given his greatest task. And then he was 100 years old when he was given uh, that pinnacle moment in his life that God had given him an opportunity to reveal his true nature, right? How many of you are 100 years old in here? So when I'm at the assisted living, there's a, a lady that's 105. What if... What if the most important decision that God has for you in your life doesn't happen until you're 100 years old? What if? Is your zeal in him growing? Is your energy, is your passion growing that you'll be ready for that? Are you pursuing him with passion? Or have you been convinced? Who would convince you that you no longer need zeal? Who would convince you? Who would try to convince you that you no longer need passion? Who would that be? Would that be the Holy Spirit of God? Would the Holy Spirit of God say, no, you're past that. You don't need to worry about zeal anymore. You don't need to worry about passion. That's for those other younger folks. You don't need to worry about that. Who is telling us this? Where is the, where is the originator of this idea that somehow, as a believer, your zeal can peak and then decline? That is a lie. The beauty of being a follower of Christ is there's no roof on the place of zeal in this world. You can get more and more in love with Jesus until the day you meet him. There is nothing in your life, even if you find yourself in a bed and you're not able to get out of the bed, you can passionately seek the Lord in prayer. There is no limitations to how much you can love Christ. And so that zeal is something that, the, yes, in our world we talk, because why? The world lives in the flesh. The world lives in the outer man controlled by the flesh. So, of course, they think there's a peak and a decline, but not in the spiritual world. The spiritual world is one day we're going to leave this life and continue on into something that's so much bigger than any of our imaginations can imagine. And so this morning, have you ever uh, come to this place and, and asked the Lord, do I have the zeal that you want for me? I think of the story of Mary Magdalene. And she comes in, and she has a, a perfume that's worth a year's worth of wages. And she comes to Christ, and she begins to anoint him with this. And, and, and she begins to, to, to wash him and, and to cry because she has such a zeal for the Lord, right? And I look at her, her example, I say, I wish I had that type of zeal in life, that I would sacrifice whatever it was. Because who's the one who comes in and says, oh, that could have been sold for a whole year's of wage? Why waste all that on Jesus? right? Who's killing the zeal? Who's killing the passion? Is it the Holy Spirit or is it the flesh and Satan, right? We need zeal in our lives. Uh, God says that he has power that he has given unto us. There is something, it's not just um, abstract, it's reality. It's a real power. It's a real love. It's a real desire to love him more. Do you have that zeal for him today? Do you have that passion for him today? It doesn't mean you have to run a mile or, or lift weights or yell and, and scream. It means within your heart, is there a burning desire to know the Lord more? Is there a burning desire to be his child and to be in his presence and to be his servant and to be his follower? I believe peace is found when you have a zealous pursuit of Jesus. 
I think many of us struggle with, with unhappy, unsatisfied lives because we do not have a zealous passion for the Lord. When you have a zealous passion in the Lord, you don't have time to even consider the worthlessness that, that people focus their lives on. The thoughts and ideas that pull you into despair, you don't have time when you have a zealous heart for the Lord. I would encourage you to pray that if you do not today have a zealous heart for the Lord, that he would give you a passionate heart, that he would stir your passions, that you would begin to love him more than you've ever loved him in your life, that you would recognize how much he loved you first. And then finally, at the end of the verse 13, it says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with the Lord's people who are in need, and practice hospitality. This is the opposite of what the world says to pursue, but this is what our Father, the Holy Spirit, who guides us, tells us to do. He says, be joyful in hope. Joy is not something that's determined by your environment. It's determined by your soul. Joy cannot be bought. Joy can only be given to you by the Lord. When you seek the Lord, he gives you a peace that passes understanding and a joy that cannot be explained. Because the hope leads to joy that no matter what's happening in your life, you can still be full of joy. Patience and affliction. This is one we don't like, right? Why do I have to be patient? And not just patient, but patient in affliction. I met so many brothers and sisters that are going through physical and health issues, and it's just this long journey that seems to be never-ending. But the reality is that there is a peace that comes when you establish that you will be patient and be in the Lord's timing. Do you know sometimes he has a great reward for you? He has a great blessing for you if you're willing to be patient enough to receive it. It's something that we're called to. I remember uh, our deacon George Crone sharing about how we went through a very difficult time and then God blessed in abundant ways that he could not explain and how perfect they were and how timed they were and how they could only be from the Holy Spirit of God because of his patient service and his continuing through times of adversity and affliction. Faithful in prayer. We met this morning and we prayed for you in your seat today. We are the deacons of this church, the leaders of this church. We gather and pray because we realize uh, I can't talk you into anything um, and I wouldn't want to. The Holy Spirit of God, we've gathered here not to listen to me, but to listen to God, not to listen to any other teacher, not to listen to any other idea, but that the Holy Spirit of God would saturate us at this moment. And the only way that happens is through prayer that God would break down the walls that have been built up in our lives, that God would open our eyes to see what he is doing and who he is, that our ears would be open for those times of confession and those times of celebration. And so we, to have this peace that God wants us to have, it's being willing to do all these things. And then it says, look, you need to care about the others in this church. We need to have a burden for each other. We need to be concerned about each other. We need to be, want the best for those that are in this room as part of the body, because if we're a body, if one part is sick, we're all sick. If there's one person that's part of our body and, and you're struggling today, then we should all feel it because we're part of the same body. And we need to work at that, and we need to ask the Lord to bring us to that kind of place as a relationship with each other. And so there's this great slogan, and I think it's so powerful, and actually, uh, to bring it full circle, there was a football player that wore this shirt, and they told him he had to change it 
because they found it offensive, which is amazing to me. But here's what it said. It said, no Jesus, no peace. N-O, Jesus, no peace. But K-N-O, Jesus, K-N-O, peace. No Jesus, there's not going to be peace. There is no peace in this world outside of Christ. But if you know him, then you know peace. And you have peace. And you can live out peace. And so this morning, as we've listened to Paul in Romans chapter 12, and he's told us not to conform to this world, to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, to be living sacrifices, that we're to uh, live out our faith in a way uh, that we're zealous for the Lord, and we're seeking him every day. How zealous are you for peace with God today? I think we need to be reminded and asked this all the time. How, how much am I willing to take that next step? How much do I really want? Because it's, it's a want to, isn't it? Life is about want to. Do I want to be in a right relationship to God? Do I want to live out what he's taught me? Do I want the Holy Spirit to lead me and guide me? Because that want to, if I can ask the Lord to give me his want to, then you begin to see change. You can begin to see power. And that zeal will be rebirthed within you because the Holy Spirit of God begins to do his work. And what the Holy Spirit does is he produces fruit in your life. And all of a sudden, you may have had no patience. You may have been angry. You may have been upset. But now you have love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness gentleness and long-suffering because the Holy Spirit of God is what's at your center. That's at your core of who you are. Let's pursue it. Let's encourage each other to pursue it. If you don't know Christ as your Savior today, begin with, with repenting and believing in Christ so that you can pursue him more. And if you have, if you're somewhere on your journey today, pursue him more. Don't give up. Don't think you've reached the top. You have not. There's so much more to go. There's so much more to go for all of us. But it starts with our faith. It starts with our commitments. It starts with our desires. And so as we come to this place of application, here's what I would encourage. First, I would say repent and confess. Repent of whatever the Lord has laid on your heart that maybe shouldn't be there and confess it. Maybe there are things you should be doing that you're not. Maybe you've fallen away from prayer and reading God's word or connecting with other believers to be encouraged or serving some area within the body of Christ. Confess it and then look for ways that you can do those things that God has called you to do. Commit to having joy and hope, patience and affliction, and being faithful in prayer. Make these part of your calendar. Make these part of your day-to-day -day routine. Be hospitable to everyone, even in difficult circumstances. Let's be known as hospitable people. Let's be known as kind and patient people. Let's have harmony within the body. Let's make sure that we're harmonizing as a family. Let's make sure we're not overlooking things that don't need to be overlooked. Let's make sure that we're loving each other appropriately, that people feel valued and important and part of this body, that voices are heard, and that we're together unified in the cause of Christ. We can't do this in our flesh. We can't do this on our own. So each one of us asks, has to ask the Holy Spirit to help us. Asking God to help us is the only way we'll achieve any of this.